Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liz Truss has been, if anything, certainly as bad as Johnson on the populism agenda. She wants people to work hard, and she hates people being told what to do. The markets are looking very, very closely at political pronouncements. Together, we can ride out the storm. We can rebuild our economy, and we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today we'll hear from the Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves at the Labour Conference in Liverpool, plus Jared Lyons, external economic advisor to the Prime Minister Liz Truss, on why the government needs to do more to convince markets of its tax cut plan. Wow, quasi quarting has been in the job less than three weeks as Chancellor. He faces an energy crisis, delivers a budget by any other name and then sees an immediate market meltdown in Sterling and Gilts over Friday into Monday. What a baptism of fire. I mean, it's mayhem that was fuelled also by the Chancellor's comments over the weekend on Sunday, saying that there were more but there was more to come yeah. in terms of tax cuts. And I mean, this again, quasi quieter learning the lesson of how, as Chancellor, his words can move markets. We saw sterling hit a record low early on Monday morning against the dollar, 103.50, a level uh, not seen in decades. And the UK's borrowing costs have been soaring again today. We're looking at the 10-year guilt yield, the benchmark for UK government borrowing, reaching a level not seen since 2010. Uh, that is really the markets getting very crunchy about this idea of... Uh, there being more fiscal changes to come. Yeah, I think the thing that has stood out for me, though, reporting on this throughout the morning and watching the markets ratchet up those bets on how high interest rates need to go in order to sort of prop up a collapsing sterling are the words of Dan Hansen, Bloomberg's uh, senior UK economist. He talked actually about the markets, it being quite surprising that the markets had reacted this way and that it perhaps wasn't due to any uh, individual line item, any individual tax cut, but simply a global view that um, that the, the, the government was not sort of on steady footing here. That was the key takeaway, I thought. Yeah, and it's interesting because Jared Lyons, the advisor to the Prime Minister, we'll hear from him later on in the programme, I'm saying that really what Quasi Quarteng needs to do now is convince the markets that these tax cuts are necessary and they're affordable and that they're non-inflationary. Uh, that's the position that he has anyway, but that's his message to the Chancellor. Yeah, and all of this, of course, the Labour Party enjoying already a comfortable lead in the polls. Keir Starmer saying that he would reverse the scrapping of the top income tax band of 45%. And then Rachel Reeves, I mean, really having a kind of, uh, from the Labour perspective, an open goal today uh, on uh, hitting the government with their plan. She was speaking to Bloomberg Lizzie Burden at the party's conference in Liverpool. She told us that Labour would fund any additional borrowing through tax rises. 
Well, we saw on Friday the markets begin to react to what the Chancellor set out in his statement, a series of unfunded tax cuts, primarily for the richest in society. And that has put pressure on, on sterling, not just against the dollar, but also against the euro. And that has consequences in, in the real world because it will push up inflation further. It pushes up the costs of government borrowing and in turn it will mean higher borrowing costs for families and for businesses as, as well. So at the moment we've got a situation where the Bank of England has got its foot on the, uh, on, on the brake and the Chancellor's got its foot on the accelerator. So that should the Bank is, of England be intervening to, ruin. To, to save the pound? Should Andrew Bailey step in? Well, look, I was an economist at Bank of England for many years before I became a uh, member of Parliament and I respect the operation independence of the bank. Uh, but the bank has a clear mandate uh, to, to control inflation and they will see the impact that is happening now on uh, sterling and the impact that that will have in turn on inflation. And so there will be further pressure on the bank to increase uh, interest rates. And as I say, that means higher borrowing costs for families and higher borrowing costs for businesses, which is why I, I, I fear that for all the talk from the Chancellor last Friday, this is not a plan for growth, because if families have got less money to spend, because they're spending more on mortgage interest payments, and if businesses are put off investment because of the cost of borrowing going up, we're not going to get the growth. Trickle-down economics is not going to work. It hasn't worked in the past, and this is just putting further pressure on inflation and interest rates. So should Kwasi Kwarteng step in to save the pound? Well, Kwasi Kwarteng at the weekend um, fueled this sell-off on of the pound by doubling down on his package on Friday and suggesting that there is more to come. That is not what financial markets want to hear. They want to hear that the Chancellor has got a serious plan for getting a grip of the public finances. We didn't hear that on Friday. We didn't hear it over the weekend. And now we have that reaction in global financial markets to the irresponsible and reckless uh, statement that we had from the Chancellor on Friday and the comments through the course of the weekend. So what financial markets and business want is credibility, uh, stability. What, this is your chance to present yourself as a government in waiting, but isn't the advantage of the Tory package that at least it's clear? Well, I set out Labour's fiscal rules a year ago that we would pay for day-to-day -day spending through tax receipts, that we would get our uh, debt down as a share of GDP, uh, that, of course, in difficult times, some borrowing, responsible borrowing, might be necessary. But then subject to that, we would invest in the industries and the opportunities of the future. And that's what the National Wealth Fund that I'll be setting out at conference today is all about, because there is a global race going on at the moment for the jobs and industries of the future. Britain falling behind in that race, whilst other governments support their businesses to get the jobs, to get the factories to their countries. But we're not doing that. My plans that I'll be setting out today would do exactly that. A serious plan for climate, for growth and for levelling up. That's the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, speaking to Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden. Well, let's go back to Liverpool. James Wilcock is at the Labour Party conference for us. James, does this feel like a moment for Labour, given the reception that these budget measures have gotten, both from many parts of civil society and from the markets? Good morning, Stephen. I mean, certainly it feels like a very strange place. Party conferences are always very strange. I, from where I'm sat right now, I can see Peter Mandelson having a coffee with members of the business lobby. And throughout the day, I've seen Ed Miliband glide to the conference like a minor celebrity being mobbed by people. So, I mean, I would caution that the conference world is not the real world. But 
it is buoyant here. People are surprisingly happy. And I think part of that surprise comes from they weren't really expecting this. Rachel Reeves was today supposed to announce a sort of big £8 billion co-investment in green projects. This is supposed to be the area where Labour set out their stall for modern government. But instead, she's asking questions on the economic handling of the Tory government and whether they can be trusted with to manage a budget, which is a place Labour... I don't think would have thought themselves in for at least 12 years when they were accused of the same stuff back in 2010. In terms of officials and delegates who I've been speaking to, I mean, what is fascinating is I was talking to a pair of Labour officials who heard I was from Bloomberg and started me asking, asking me questions about the bond market and sort of my view on where it was going, which goes to say I think they are trying to grapple with the sudden changes and what is expected from them. They, um, these Labour officials were telling me that actually now everything has to be costed. They need to be above board on the economy because they want to be seen as a credible alternative to the Conservative government. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to get your view. So then what are they proposing as an alternative? I mean, we heard Rachel Reeves there. She she made mention of this wealth fund that she's meant to be launching. I mean, what is the concrete plan that Labour wants to offer? It is still being fleshed out. And I think this is part speaks to partly what is the move of this conference. Labour believe they have a good shot at winning the next, next, next election with a 15-point lead in some of the polls. But they're still not quite sure if that's just because they're different to the Tories and they now want to set that out. Keir Starmer is set to speak tomorrow and is going to be talking about growth, growth and growth. But as yet, beyond that kind of plans and plans to level up, then they, as yet, Caroline, it's not quite sure where the lines of that are. So it's still yet to be seen. The latest polls, as you say, James, been very positive for Labour, but it's a long road from here to an election and a victory in an election. It is. And I mean, if we look, though, at the past three years, I, mean, I was last at the 2019 conference where Keir Starmer was, uh, well, Jeremy Corbyn was still in power. That was a very different affair. And then when Keir Starmer took over back in 2020, he gave the conference speech over Zoom due to COVID. Then in 2021, a Corbynite shadow minister resigned on day two of the conference. So compared to this year, the mood is a lot more unified. They still have some hurdles, though, Stephen. Um, Andrew Burnham, in particular, was contradicting the, Keir Starmer on his tax policy today and also is criticising him over his refusal to back a Labour motion to back PR in the next government. That's been a key thing from the delegates I've been talking to. It has big support amongst conference delegates and people at the local level but MPs are very concerned it might erode their sort of electoral power but in terms of the left-wing momentum they failed to get any motion selected for a vote this time around at the conference and the national anthem was openly sung so this very much has been a story of the centrist taking back the conference the question will be is what is that alternative government they intend to set out yeah, absolutely. Peter Mandelson, you, you mentioned a uh, reference him there. You know, yes, it does seem to, to be that the centre of the Labour Party is back in uh, the ascendancy firmly. Um, how much of a problem, though, are the strikes for Keir Starmer? We were speaking to Unite Union on Daybreak Europe on radio just this morning. Um, and again, their leader is not turning up to conference. Mm, yes, they're not going. However, Mick Lynch was at a fringe event over the weekend and he stressed that Labour are friends and we will not be divided. So it seems to be that there is a mix of opinion. Um, certainly some think that like this is not the moment. And from what people are saying at conference, the idea of cutting the bankers bonuses for Conservatives has worked to unify a lot of the party. But the question is, will that last into the winter as the cost of living crisis bites? For now, it's not a problem that's happening at conference. But how long Keir Starmer can maintain that unified stance remains to be seen. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. 
It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the markets have given their verdict on the Chancellor's pledges of tax cuts with sterling slumping to a record low against the US dollar and gilt yield spiking. So what should Quasi Quarten do next? We've been speaking to Jared Lyons, who's an external advisor to the Prime Minister Liz Truss and Chief Economic Strategist at NetWealth. I asked him if the Chancellor needs to reverse course, given the market reaction. I don't think the government needs to do a U-turn. The fiscal statement on Friday was very much aimed at a domestic audience. What we've seen in terms of the market reaction um, is that the Chancellor and to some extent the Bank of England have sort of failed to take on board and address fully all the concerns of the market. But in terms of a U-turn, I would say no. What we've seen since Friday is that the mini budget triggered a major sell-off in UK assets. It wasn't helped by events in the preceding 48 hours. And since then, we've sort of seen value at risk events triggering sort of market positions to be uh, triggered elsewhere. So passive investors, risk investors have been forced to sell. And also many investors in UK assets have unhedged positions. Um, some of them will retain those positions, but also it might add to full mm. sell. So all of these factors are at play there. What they need to do in terms of the UK policymaker side is to assess where we stand. Um, it, the ch- pressure as much falls on the Bank of England as it does on uh, the Chancellor. But in terms of the Chancellor, what are the issues that came out of Friday? Uh, what came out of Friday was that uh, markets were still not convinced that his fiscal easing was necessary, non-inflationary and affordable. I think the fiscal measures are necessary. They're non-inflationary and they are affordable. But it's quite clear, given the market reaction, that those concerns were not fully addressed. And maybe 
the subsequent comments, he might need to try and address them. Okay, so uh, so so that's what the what the Chancellor might need to, to to pivot to in terms of messaging. What do you think the Bank of England should do? Well, there's no doubt that we need to move away from a cheap money policy that's dominated in the UK since the global financial crisis, and I've been saying that for some time. Also, it's very important to stress in answering your question that the new policy framework in the UK is very much aimed at fiscal policy stabilising the economy in the near term while retaining that fiscal discipline the further ahead one looks. But that will allow monetary policy to clearly curb inflation. So there's no doubt, and this was the case even before Liz Trust became Prime Minister, there was no doubt that the markets were expecting much higher UK interest rates. That's clearly been exacerbated or reinforced by events on Friday. So there's no doubt that the Bank of England needs to tighten policy. The question they need to decide is whether they do it inter-meeting, which might seem like a panic, or wait till the next meeting. But one thing, if I could just add to this question, one thing I think they shouldn't have done last Thursday was to announce that they will proceed with quantitative tightening. Even though monetary tightening has both higher rates and quantitative tightening as components of it, given that the gilts market was about to absorb not only the normal issuance through the debt management office, that increased because of Friday. I didn't think it made any sense for the Bank of England to proceed with their 80 billion of QT quantitative tightening that, that they announced on Thursday. Okay, Gerard, if they do, rever- if they did reverse QT, isn't the danger of that that you look like you're not being tough enough on inflation and you open yourself up to allegations of government financing? Um, well, no, actually, the government financing issue came to a head a year ago when the bank really should have been tightening policy a year ago. And I was talking about higher inflation at the beginning of last year. Then instead of raising rates as they should, they engaged in quantitative easing. So that really went to the heart of the question you're asking about. But um, last Thursday, they did talk about market conditions when they made their statement. But when one looks at it, what we have is a misalignment of policy. Now, the positive is that fiscal policy is very much geared to actually stabilise the economy. So that's an important aspect from last Friday. But fiscal policy also at the same time is geared has, to... Re- has it done that, though? Sure, we, you can't call that as, as, you know, creating stability, given the market reaction we've seen. Well, you need to... Yeah, OK, obviously, Bloomberg is very much focused on the financial sector. But there are three key target audiences. What I would say is that the mini-budget very much addressed two of those three target audiences. As I've said, and indeed, as I was writing about in recent weeks, I was concerned about uh, the febrile state of the markets. And indeed, as you're probably aware, I wrote a major piece back in February saying that there will be an inevitable sterling devaluation. So the way markets have unfolded, in my view, is not a full surprise. But what the mini budget did, and coming back to your question, was very much aimed from a political perspective at the domestic audience in terms of the general public, hence capping energy prices and aimed at the business community, hence the Confederation of British Industry and the Institute Directors came out being very positive about it because of the supply side measures aimed at investment. But what is quite clear, as I thought before the event, and as I've said to you earlier, uh, what I think they failed to do um, is address fully those concerns of the markets, hence we're seeing the market reaction. And indeed, the focus is not just on the Chancellor, but also given where we were last Wednesday and Thursday with the Fed on Wednesday and the Bank of England on Thursday, 
it's also focused attention naturally on monetary policy as well in the UK. You mentioned the possibility of an emergency rate hike. Would you view that as being interference in government policy? And is that something that you would welcome? I think you need to differentiate between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is clearly government policy, uh, government spending, government and taxation. Um, What's quite clear, and this is an issue that's come to the fore in recent months about institutions, but what's quite clear is the Bank of England has complete independence in the operation of monetary policy. So it's up to the Bank of England themselves to decide what to do. Now, the challenge with monetary policy in the UK has been that it was far too loose last year when it should have been tightened. But they've, they're in a difficult situation now. And the markets have been saying this in recent weeks, and I've been echoing it. Either you don't raise rates aggressively, in which case you leave the pound vulnerable against a resurgent dollar, or if you do raise interest rates, then you start to weaken the domestic economy. Now, with an economy already, according to the Bank of England, in recession, and with inflation, according to the Bank of England, about to peak, that's why they're treading the path that they are. But at the end of the day, even before Friday, you had the market saying rates needed to go to 4.5%. Now you have the market saying rates need to go well above that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we inflation in double digits and policy rates are only two and a quarter. So it's quite clear that monetary policy is still very loose. But the speed, the scale, the sequencing of that tightening, whilst it was very much focused on the domestic economy, clearly needs to take into account financial markets of behaviour. So, so Gerard, what would you think the Chancellor, what would your advice to the Chancellor be as to what he should say now? You say that Friday was aimed at the domestic market, but clearly he has experience in finance and he knows that international markets are always listening. So what kind of messaging should he come forward with when it comes to debt sustainability? Well, there are a number of things that have come to the head. Three things in particular. First, he needs to make clear that the markets recognise the difference between his pro-growth strategy as opposed to a dash for growth. The pro-growth strategy is supply side focused on boosting investment. Second, he needs to reaffirm that tax cuts are only part of the story. They're not the full story because it's led to this idea about trickle-down economics. Trickle-down economics is a load of nonsense, um, but it's definitely not the government's following. What they're following is the supply side agenda. But comments about tax cuts over the weekend seem to have added fuel to the fire in the eyes of the markets. And that comes on to the third part about financial and fiscal discipline and about reducing the ratio of debt to GDP over time. As the Chancellor made clear on Friday, he will have a medium-term fiscal plan. Uh, The fact that we didn't have an OBR statement on Friday shouldn't have spooked people just because we knew that they weren't going to have one and they'll have one in a few weeks. Uh, But maybe the absence of a medium-term fiscal plan on Friday, even though the Chancellor said that will come later, sort of allowed those misplaced worries to sort of gather sort of strength, shall we say. So I think he needs to make clear those aspects of policy. And then the markets need to recognise that what we have now, very much instead of monetary policy always running to the economy's rescue, with rate cuts, with with huge problems. It's going to be a case of fiscal policy stabilises the economy in the near term, which will allow monetary policy fully 
to curb inflation. That was Jared Lyons, Chief Economic Strategist at NetWealth and an external advisor to the Prime Minister, Liz Truss. So interesting to hear him say it's about messaging now. It's about convincing those three words, necessary, affordable and non-inflationary are the three things he says that Quasi Quartang needs to convince markets now that that's where the, you know, how essentially to dig themselves out of the hole that they're now in. Um, But the fact that he doesn't believe that there needs to be an emergency meeting of the Bank of England is very interesting. He says that could send it the wrong sort of panicked signal, even though he does see a role for the bank in tackling this. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Sentence, former MPC, Bank of England uh, member, of course, also saying that he thought it was highly unlikely that you would get an emergency central bank meeting this week. But that really does seem to be the debate point. UK uh, Conservative MPs starting to get pretty nervous and obviously understandably so does the Bank of England need to step in with an emergency rate rise? Certainly markets would say that that would have to be a hefty rate rise to make a difference. But does it make it better or worse to do something so unusual in the bank's history as to you know, call for an emergency meeting? Well, this is the question of what sort of signal does that send? And interesting to see Mel Stride, uh, chairperson of the Treasury Select Committee, saying, you know, one thing is for sure, he was tweeting, saying it'd be wise to take stock of how through time markets weigh up recent economic announcements rather than immediately signalling more of the same in the near term. That's a perhaps a pointed comment from him there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having said that, you don't have the governor of the Bank of England actually due to speak this week. You do have Hugh Pale. So mm. those will be clearly a very kind of focused, uh, focused conversation. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.